Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight. For you, Lord, are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Good morning. We are um, beginning this morning, beginning this first Sunday in the Lenten season, a sermon series titled, What Wondrous Love Is This? And what we hope to accomplish over the next five or six weeks is to um, explore the wondrous love of God in the story of salvation. So the story of our salvation from beginning to end, um, what does God's wondrous love look like in the midst of that? Today we have the the great pleasure of focusing on Genesis chapter 3, the fall. We're going to see that the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, we're going to see that sin and we're going to see the promise, even now, even early in the Bible, we're going to see the promise of a coming redemption. Uh, So we'll be in Genesis 3 this morning. If you have a Bible, now would be a great time to open it up. Um, You might do that on your phone as well, but we are in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. Um, As you are looking for that, remember uh, the setting, remember the stage that God has has set for us in Genesis 1 and 2. God created the world, right? He created the heavens and the earth. He created the land and the sea. He created the animals and the fish. And then he created man. And he put man in the garden and he stepped back and he looked at his creation and he said, this is is very good. This is very good. The act of um, creating the man, so God created the man, Adam, right? And he, he put him in the garden, and Adam was given some instructions. He says, you should keep and work this garden, right? Genesis 2.15. He says, all of these trees and all of their fruit, they're yours. You can eat of them and be satisfied, Genesis 2.16. Except for one, Genesis 2.17, do not eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat from it, for you shall surely die. Now it's interesting to note, after God gives this command to Adam, not before, after God gives this command to Adam, he creates Eve. And then suddenly, Adam has found his companion, his soulmate. Adam and Eve together in the garden are reflecting the image of God in in perfect creation. It is indeed very good. And the final verse of this description of the very good garden is found in Genesis chapter 2 verse 25. And it says this, this the writer of Genesis goes out of his way to make this point clear to us. The man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. They were not ashamed. Now, of course, we go to Genesis chapter 3, and all of this begins to fall apart. Satan appears, right, in the form of a serpent And he tempts the woman. Now, it's interesting that Satan goes after Eve. Who actually received the command from God? Adam. 
But Satan goes after Eve, and he, he tempts her, and he says to her, Did God really say, don't eat from any of these trees? Well, Eve says, no. God said, don't eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. And he also said, do not touch it. Well, God didn't say that. God just said, don't eat from it. He didn't say, do not touch it. Already, something's happening in Eve's mind. And Satan says, oh, you can eat that fruit from that tree? You're not going to die. God knows if you eat from it, you will be like him. You will be like God. So Eve takes a look at the fruit. She sees that it's good. And she sees that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Eve sees that she wants to be like God. So she takes a bite. And then she gives some to Adam. Who, by the way, was apparently there the whole time. The whole time. I want us to note carefully here the cause of the sin with Adam and Eve. On one hand, it's easy, and many of us like to do this, it's easy to blame the serpent. The devil made me do it. Now, obviously, he bears significant blame, and we'll, we'll talk about that later. But he did not make Adam and Eve eat the fruit. He did not hold them down. He did not open their mouth, and he did not dram the apple down it. He did not make them eat the fruit. Adam and Eve willfully chose to disobey God. They willfully chose it. The problem is Adam and Eve had a misdirected desire for self-autonomy. They wanted to be in charge. At that moment... They did not desire the God who created and sustained them. They did not desire the God who would walk with them in the cool of the garden. No. Their desire was not for God. Their desire was to be like God. To be autonomous. The autonomous self. I suggest to you that this misdirected desire that led Adam and Eve to eat from this tree is the same misdirected desire that leads us to continue to sin time and time again today. Too often we don't desire God himself. Instead, we desire to be like God. And that is what drives us so very often. Consider just a general example. It might be a silly example, but I think it's one we can identify with. Um, Think back to your high school years or maybe your middle school years. And you're on a playground and there's a bully on the playground and he pushes your friend down. What do you want to do? What what do I want to do? I can't speak for you. What do I want to do? I want to go push that bully. I want to go take care of the problem. I want revenge, retribution, and justice because my friend has just been pushed. What's happening here, right? God says justice is mine. At the very least on the playground, justice belongs to the teachers, right? But I want that in my own hands. I want to take care of things. And and in a sense, you could say that I would want to be like God. 
Now, that's kind of a silly example, and it's not really meddling yet. But let's get real about this for just a second. Too many of us are self-medicating with alcohol, with drugs. When things get hard, we turn to chemicals to make us feel better. We're finding comfort on our own rather than finding comfort in God, rather than finding comfort in the community of the church that God has established. Too, too many are seeking pleasure in pornography or perhaps an affair. And we'll make all sorts of excuses about why this behavior is okay. But at the end of the day, we're simply taking refuge in our own autonomous choices. Rather than seeking God, we're seeking to fulfill our desires. Rather than seeking to fulfill our desires and, and the spouse God has given us or the, 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 the plan for our sexuality that God has laid before us, we're seeking refuge in our own choices, in our own way of doing things. That's tearing us apart. Too often we're constantly pursuing the status symbols of this world the perfect car, the perfect house the perfect children, the perfect body. And we do so at the detriment of our bank accounts, the detriment of our credit, the detriment of our relationships. But at the end of the day, right, we want to be self-made, self-made men, self-made women. But for goodness sake, don't look behind the facade. Don't look behind the facade. Friends, this list could go on and on and on. But almost always the root of our sin is the desire to be like God. To fill our, fulfill our desires and our own autonomous choices rather than God and the gifts that he has given us. That's what Adam and Eve did there in the garden. They ate the fruit. And what happened? Immediately, right? Immediately they realized they were naked. They covered themselves. Genesis goes out of its way to tell us that this has never been an issue before. But immediately they cover themselves. Immediately they hide from God. And God calls out to them, Adam, Adam, where are you? This is the call of a heartbroken father who has lost his son. And he finally finds them, right? And the blame game begins. Adam! He turns to Adam first. Isn't that interesting? There's a, an assumption of responsibility, an assumption of, um, of authority perhaps even in Adam that, that God would turn to him first and assume that he knows what's going on. He says, Adam, what have you done? Adam's answer is classic. It was that woman? The one you gave me. It was her fault, God, and your fault. It wasn't mine. He turns to the woman. What have you done? Oh, it was the serpent. It was in the garden. And God looks at the serpent, and I can picture him, right? Almost certainly sitting there. A self-satisfied smirk on his face as he watches God's creation unravel. 
Notice the consequences of sin. First, Adam and Eve are ashamed. This is the first time that they have noticed they were naked. And out of their shame, they, they tried to conceal themselves, right? They tried to conceal themselves from each other. They tried to hide from God. And the fact of the matter is, when we dwell on our sin, when we live there, we try to conceal it. We try to hide it. And we think to ourselves, no one could love me. No one could be my friend if they knew who I really was. And what I really did. And so we, we hide it. We hide it from each other and we try to hide it from God. And when we hide it and cover it, it festers and it grows and it takes over. And the second thing, Adam and Eve were guilty. They stood before God and they were guilty for what they've done, and they, and they knew it. They knew they were guilty, and so they, they blamed others, and they passed it off. Oh, don't, don't, don't count me guilty, God. Count, Adam, count Eve guilty. Count the serpent guilty. And the reality is we are all guilty of disobeying God. Every single one of us. We started this service, right, reading the Ten Commandments. All of you in here have broken at least eight of them, if not more. We're guilty before God. And so Adam and Eve, we would read, read, if we read on in Genesis, we'd see they're banished from the garden. They're banished from the presence of God. There's enmity between them. Adam, his, his whole calling in life was to work the garden and to work the field. And all of a sudden, it's going to be hard. He's going to work by the sweat of his brow. It's not going to, to do the things that it was supposed to do because the creation has been succumbed to Adam and Eve's sin. The consequences of their sin, the consequences of their pursuit for self-autonomy is shame and guilt. Two things that we share with them. However, even here in Genesis chapter 3, perhaps the darkest chapter in all of Scripture, we have a glimpse of the promise. Adam, uh, God will go on to, to punish Adam, will go on to punish Eve. Um, but first, he, he speaks directly to the serpent, verses 14 and 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your head, and you shall strike his heel. He, the offspring of the woman, will bruise the head of the serpent. Friends, that's the gospel in Genesis, that God is going to fix this. Some thousands of years later, another man would be tempted by Satan. He would go out into the desert. He would face Three significant temptations. He was hungry and tired and thirsty, and he did not succumb to a single one. Jesus, the offspring of the woman described here in Genesis 3.15, is to be seen to us as a new Adam. Jesus in the wilderness was the man Adam could not be. He overcame temptation, and eventually his heel was bruised by Satan. He gave up his life for us on the cross. And yet when he was raised from the dead, Satan's head was crushed. 
by the offspring of the woman, Jesus. And friends, we are invited to take our place no longer under the old Adam, but the new Adam. As Jesus Christ becomes our head and our Savior, and in him there is no shame. The shame we feel for the things we've done is gone when the creator of the universe looks on you and says, I love you anyway. But when the shame is gone between us and God, it can be gone between ourselves, each other. We can confess our sins. We don't have to hide them. And in Christ, the guilt is gone. Because he has taken that punishment on the cross. He has become separated from God that we might live with him. We are free to live now in this day and age in light of the eternal life that is to come. Because friends, one day, this promise in Genesis 3.15 is going to come to fullness. It's going to come to fruition. And Jesus Christ, the offspring of the woman who crushed the head of Satan, will come down and he'll set up a new Jerusalem. A new heavens and a new earth. There will be no more tears. There will be no more shame. There will be no more fear. There will be no more sin. And we will dwell with him forever. And so it's my prayer this Lenten season, as we explore our sin and our shame and confess our self-autonomy and submit to Christ, that doing these difficult things will give us a certain amount of joy to rejoice in the Savior who has died for us and rose again, that we might live with him forever.